Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, um, today the Lord impressed it on my heart to preach a sermon on the imitations of the Spirit. Imitations of the Spirit. The power of imitations and what that looks like in the spirit realm. Praise the Lord. Many aspects in the spiritual life are like aspects in the physical. Many, not all, but many. You see, like God created you in his own image and likeness, you have eyes, ears, nose, mouth. And then we start to see in the spirit realm, you have a representation too, that has legs, that has eyes, that has ears. You see, there's many things physical that are represented spiritually. So, there are many things. In fact, many things physical teach us so much of what is spiritual. The Bible tells us that the things that are seen were brought about by things which are not seen. So there's a world of many things unseen, but the consequence of that is the things that we see physically. So it is, if I would give the analogy of a child, that the first stage of maturation and adaptation to the present world when a child is born, because when they are born in this world, they are born with so much inefficiencies and inadequacies because the world they've entered physical is not a world they've lived in for all the months that they have had. They have legs, they can't walk. They have hands, they can't move them. Perhaps they have eyes, but the eyes have not yet been attuned to see. They have Lips, but they don't know what those lips are for except the gratification, food, you see? And then this child goes through a certain process. Innate abilities are taking course, but above all, as the brain starts to grow, they start to imitate. It's the first sign that your child is maturing. They start to imitate as they become infants, toddlers. They live a life of imitation. When was the first time this child thought to walk? It was because it sank in their head that human beings would walk. And then they start to talk, and then the child starts to talk as well. And then you dance, and then they also what? Dance. If they were raised around people who are crippled, a child might live all their lives crippled because they don't know that human beings walk. Some of you remember the story of the boy who was found in the bush in Uganda, whose parents left him in the war in the bush. I don't know whether some of you saw that story. And this boy, about 20-something years old, was picked in the bush by the army. And the boy was bent like a monkey. He spoke like a monkey, moved like a monkey, acted like a monkey. And then they took him to Butabika Hospital for rehabilitation. And uh, there's a time I actually visited. I was going to pray for somebody there. That boy, a few days ago, had passed. Why? Because he ate a cat or something like that that was dead. He used to sleep in the open fields. Why? He never formed to become a man. Although he was born 100% human. It was true, typical story of your jungle story. It happened here in Uganda a few years ago. So, it shows you the power of imitation. That you're doing many things, but you don't know that you learned them from another human being who was doing the same. Okay? And then from imitation, you exercise yourself to what you can do and what you're not able to do as you imitate. And it's out of that that we're going to the next level of growth, which is identity. You learn who you are. Why? By understanding what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, what your abilities are, what your inabilities are, you know. And for example, this child is running and he's imitating somebody who is what? Running. But then one day they put him next to other toddlers and they say, go, and he just realizes he can't run faster. And some even cry, you ask him why, I can't run, you know. But he's discovering himself, you see. 
So sometimes discovery comes with the price of knowing what we are able to do and what we are not able to do. But we are in the process of what? Of growing. As we discover ourselves and understand who we are, then we start to expand the potentials of where our abilities and strengths are. Try to improve where we can in our weaknesses and accept the things that we might never change. You understand what I'm saying? You get to know you're this height, then matter how high you jump, you might never dunk. It sinks in your head that you might never dunk, you know. Probably some of you dreamt to be a boxer and then you turned out to be so tiny that even the smallest weight of boxing cannot favor you. So you say, okay, this is not who I am. And then you think of something else. Maybe you will coach or train a guy one day to become a boxer. But again, until a man comes to full understanding of who they are, they cannot commit in life. And if they cannot commit in life, they can never define their mark. Oh yes, I have committed my life to serve God for the rest of my life. Why? Because I discovered this is who I am. I can't change it. It's not a job that I can quit. I mean 100% until the day I leave this world. That's the version of me you will know. You understand? Why did I commit? Because I understood who I was and I am exercising myself every day in that to leave the mark. And every one of us is like that. But if you stay in the imitations, you might never fully know who you are. And if you don't evolve in who you are, you might never fully commit. And if you never fully commit, you might never serve full purpose or assignment. You understand what I'm saying? And that is why you see people oscillating between decisions. Ah, I did this, but I realized that ah, I don't think banking is for me. Let me try NGO. You see, they're still trying to discover themselves. It's the danger of a guy who is 50, but he has not yet known which woman to marry. <laughs> and he's 60, but he's like, huh? I'm not yet. You understand what I'm saying? So it's the journey of discovering ourselves. It's the journey of discovering ourselves. Somebody says, I'm 70, but I never got married. But he's supposed to get what? Married. Maybe he's still finding out who he is. Okay? Although there are exceptions in every experience. Some people are not married because of circumstances beyond us. Some have chosen to serve God. You know, some had painful relationships and they ended. But notwithstanding, they didn't have a problem. But I also know men who are 60 and they're in club right now, dancing with 25-year-olds. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. So to discover yourself and know, okay, this is not for my age anymore. When I was a child, I thought as a child, you know, I spoke as a child, I whatever as a child. But then when I grow up, I throw away childish things. You understand what I'm saying? The things at your age you're not expected to do. Why? Because you've discovered who you are. Are you following what I'm saying? Like it is physically, so it is what? Spiritual as well, that you begin with imitations. Those are your first stages. That is why when Paul is speaking to churches, depending on their levels of maturity, you see Macedonia is more mature than Philippe. Philippe is more mature than Corinth. Corinth is more mature than Thessalonica. Now, Corinth is learning God, and he realizes that the pattern of this church are people who are interested, they are committed to know God, but they're still not yet there. That's why when he's teaching, he's teaching them about love in Corinthians. He's teaching them about marriage, how to marry, who to marry. He's teaching them about the principles of giving. These are people who are in a learning process. They're on a job. They're trying to get there. They've not yet matured in the principles of life. And it is in there that he finds them and tells them, imitate me even as I imitated Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitated Christ. He's giving us a very fundamental principle in life. That in life as you're growing and you probably discover your weaknesses in certain spaces and you're trying to work yourself out to get to the next level and probably strengthen yourself where you're weak because you must. It's very important for you to imitate somebody who has gone before you. It's very important for you to imitate somebody who has done better than you. It takes great understanding, a fear of the Lord, and true humility to say, you know, this person excels in this area, and I'm going to pattern myself. Because God is a pattern God, is a principled God. He tells Moses, build the temple according to the pattern that I have showed thee at the mountain. God builds every aspect of life on a pattern, be it marriage, be it ministry, be it, you know, business, whatever it is, career, everything is a pattern and it has a step and a process. It has a way and a guiding light to it. That's how life is. You see, if you fall into a grace of whose principle pattern you do not understand, then chances are you're not able one to multiply it or you're not able to preserve it. 
That is why you have people who fall into graces because even in the spirit realm, there are allowances for stumbling into things. You understand what I'm saying? There are places where sometimes we find ourselves stumbling into things that we are not ready for, that sometimes we're not prepared for. Isaiah goes into heaven and he gets into a conversation. They're just finishing a meeting. Whom shall we send? I guess they send me. Where? You don't even have a clue, you see? But he stumbled into a certain place spiritually. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has to help him understand where he's sending him because he was not part of the meeting earlier. And when you're spiritual and you're exercised, it's amazing the things you can stumble into. If you are not stable, if you're not equipped, if you don't have a good foundation, some actually fall into the wrong places in the spirit. Some actually destroyed. And that is why it's fundamentally important that you begin your life from a place of understanding who God is. Your foundation comes right. It says that by the time you stumble into anything, certain understandings will come to you to help reconcile what is dark and what is light. Because we're living in a world where people no longer can tell the difference between light and darkness. Huh? Satan does not come as a dark fellow. The Bible says he comes as an angel of light. No marvel, Satan is transformed himself. There's a process he undergoes. The word there, transformation, means there's a spiritual process that takes place with him to appear like an angel of light. And there are many world religions that are formed on, oh, an angel appeared to me. Many world religions. Muhammad says he was in a cave and Gabriel appeared to him. You see? So to differentiate these lights, he speaks of how the light in thee be darkness or what darkness it is. So the deeper the darkness, the more it carries the appearance of light, the more it transforms into light. And that's a conversation not many people are able to have if they have not revelation of the true light. Somebody shout hallelujah. Without it, God could not create with truth. That is why at the beginning, before anything was made, he said, let there be light. You see? Why? Because it was important to create everything under a distinct light. Otherwise, if it wasn't created under a certain light, then falsehood would come in the world. And so it is with everything. Nothing truly manifests when there is no true light. For that which brings manifestation, the Bible says, is light. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the more you understand the distinctions of light, the more you easily translate from the spirit realm to the physical. There are many people in the world who are not able to get from the spiritual realm to the physical. And that's the reason for frustrated potential. The frustration that I feel something in my spirit, but I have failed to manifest it in the physical realm. It takes a certain place of wisdom. Somebody shout hallelujah. But back to what I'm trying to tell us here. So Paul looks at the church and says, you need, now that you're in a place where you've not yet carried understanding for certain aspects in life, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. Why? Because a man has been certain places and you have not been. And some of us were strong in certain areas and were weak in certain areas. You find a person, for example, who has a strength in prayer. All right? But he has no revelation in administration. You see? And so you say, well, you know, let me look for somebody and imitate their pattern of administration because I know without the right administration, I cannot run ministry right. You see what I'm saying? Because I've seen very great anointed people, but with the most flawed administrations. And that can kill the ministry. It doesn't matter how anointed you are. You see what I'm saying? But again, I've seen guys who are so orderly and they have the right lines. But when it comes to the spirit realm, there's nothing representing them. So then you get somebody to mentor you. You see, if you are a student, you probably have your good grades in math and you have a problem with, you know, science. And then you look for somebody who has an understanding of science and then they mentor you or add something to you. It is how life goes. God has not created you to be isolated, to polarize. He has created us. That's why when we come to the church, it becomes the body. You cannot say, oh, me, I know it all. My ministry knows it all. We can all get it right. No, you're going to find folk who know things you have no clue about. And that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to be. As every joint supplies that there might be no schisms. The divisions come when you think that the kingdom of God only needs you, the leg. 
Fanero. You understand what I'm saying? No. There are other parts in the kingdom of God that are also doing their part to fulfill the vision of God. And the divisions begin when we think that there is no other. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, get to your personal life as an individual. One of the biggest challenges you could ever have as a believer is dealing with the spirit of jealousy or envy. Why? Because as long as you live, you'll always find a man who does it better in some aspect. God has created life to be that way. For else then, you'd not have the humility to be watched over. Hebrews 13, 17. Every one of us has somebody God has set ahead of them. And that person too has somebody God has set ahead of them to watch over your souls as they that must give account to God for you that they might do this with joy and not with grief for that will become unprofitable for you. You're going to find folk who know something better than you do. But if you carry envy and strife, you're going to kill the very spirit that elevates men. It's a very dangerous place when you carry envy and jealousy because it means that you agree with the power that elevates, but you don't agree with God in how he elevates. You see what I'm saying? That's why I tell people, if you find yourself in that kind of position, you're going to live the worst kind of Christian life. Why? Because God will always make sure that he will put a man to pass before you and show you that he's elevating them above you. It's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. You understand what I'm saying? Your eyes will always open more to who he's elevating than yourself. Why? Because you have not yet understood how God works. The vacuum up there, let me tell you, when you hear realities or liberties in the spirit, like all things are possible to all that believe, those are infinite graces availed for any man to be able to do anything. And God says, I can provide for anything you're able to believe me for. And another man can still come to me and ask, and I'll still provide an eon. Because see, the world is factioned in eons and ages. They are periods. And they are appointed in the spirit realm. And God has enough to provide for every dreamer. That is why I tell people, when your eyes open, you realize that the vacuum will always be bigger. I mean, leave the God who walks to Moses and tells them, I know you want to lead people, but I can kill these guys and raise you another generation in just seconds. That's God. He can create an eon where women are producing so much, but for your ministry. Praise God. See, God is not limited to you. You understand what I'm saying? He can shift a man from North Pole to come to Uganda because he's coming to interpret your dream. He can shift somebody to come from Rwanda, Burundi because you dreamt of a business X and God knows what you need. And he can fly them to you without you going to them. He's not limited to your number, your color, your skin, your networks, your faith. No, 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 no. He's even above what you're able to believe him for. The Bible says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not brought about by things which do appear. There is a present continuous manifestation of things. That's why he says things which do appear. But he says, that's a place of understanding. By faith, we understand that the worlds, the eons were framed by the word of God. This thing you are reading can frame any world for you. It can frame any world for you. It can create anything you believe God for. That's why he says with God all things are possible. So to be jealous or envious about somebody is to have a myopic vision of God's ability and potential. When you understand what God is able to do, you just keep your lane and do it right. You'll be amazed. Others will shine. They can do all they want, but you'll always have your mark. It will be distinct. When you are settled like that with God, you'll never compete with a man. No, 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 no. You'll never compare yourself with a man. The Bible says comparing themselves with others, they became fools. It's only a man who does not have a revelation of the fullness of God that he will compete for space as though it's not enough or for things as though they are not sufficient. But when you understand the all-sufficient God, you know he that worked in that man's life can work in my life also. And we can both do big and God would still have space for billions of others to still dream and provide for them. So if you're dealing with that kind of thing, one of the things you must learn, one, learn very importantly, if you're dealing with envy and jealousy, I'm helping somebody here, learn to pray 
for those that are progressing. Learn it. If you hear that your sister has gotten proposed to and she's getting married, it doesn't matter whether you've been believing God for marriage for 20 years, that's the day you go on your knees and say, Father, I thank you for Rhoda because finally she found a husband. I bless her marriage. I bless her children. The more you pray for them is the more you agree with the power that elevates. But number two, learn to celebrate and gift those that progress because it means you honor that power. You honor that power. Take her a little small seed and tell her, I heard you're getting married. Receive this. You don't need to invite me. I don't need a seat, but I know that you have a responsibility. There's many responsibilities when it comes to settling and I know you need this. Please take it. You see what I'm saying? That is you saying that I'm celebrating God. When you learn to celebrate people, whatever you celebrate will come to you. Praise the Lord. And if you don't deal with that, it's going to go further and further and further and further because there are things you can never fight. There are things you can never fight. They're so big for you. And it's dangerous when God is in them. Whoa, 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 whoa. That means you're going to die angry. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Some demons just left. I saw them lifting. And they went in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Paul teaches about these imitations, but he's trying to give us something here. He's trying to show us that you see, yes, I knew that there was a challenge with my people and I agreed that as they were having this journey of self-discovery and the like, it was okay for them to follow, to pursue, to learn of me concerning the way of life. And I advise you, when you can find somebody who is so aligned to the Spirit, Sometimes, if they do something and you know in your own spirit that it's justifiable through truth, don't even seek to understand it fully. Just do it too. Just do it too. My old manager, when I was banking, he told me a story. One time he came running. There was a supervisor from head office who had come and the guy, I just saw this guy running. So I go and tell him, hey, why are you running? And he says, if you ever see a gear of running, don't ask, run fast. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He's saying that this thing has a long neck. It sees a far. Perhaps it has seen a what? A predator. An animal is going. And then you're asking, what's going on? No. Once you see a giraffe passing, just run. Because it sees far. But he's trying to tell us that there is wisdom in learning from someone who has done right. You see? Imitate. Imitate. Follow patterns. Some of you want to create unique experiences but you still don't carry the authority in the spirit to command that grace. And it's dangerous because at the end of the day, it's just an overinflated ego. It's pride and it goes before a fall. Why should I waste time to go on a mountain to seek God for what a man already has? Why don't I just receive it and then go on the mountain to seek God for more? Hello, somebody shout hallelujah. Now, Paul, in his teaching in Ephesians, and I'm going to leave this work for you to go home, for those of you who are serious about your life, to in this light study the book of Ephesians deliberately, but in the light of what I'm teaching, because I'm about to introduce something so deep for you. And this is one of those sermons I do not recommend for you to watch once. It's one of those sermons I recommend you to watch twice or thrice because of the impartation that's going to come through the words I'm going to speak. Now, much as God has called us to the place of imitation, it is not the last place with God. It's the beginning place with God. Babes imitate. So it's not bad because perhaps I could not walk if I'd never seen another man walking. But with God, it's not the last place of my work. And I've seen people live through their life beginning to death and they're just imitating. They just became cheap copies of great originals. They never advanced and found their own space in the world. God, I want you to be like Paul. He wants you to find you and the purpose he put on your life. That when Paul comes to build, and God will use Paul, he will use Paul. But beyond that, he will tell you, what are you without Paul? 
I must have put a different mark on your life because I'm not looking for another pole. I'm looking for another realm of glory. Remember, the glory of the latter church shall be greater than the glory of the former. It's from grace to grace. The Bible says, in the last days, knowledge shall be increased. One time I had an experience with Jesus, an encounter, and he said something so profound. He told me, in your generation, it will be so inferior to know only what Paul knew because that's not where I am. Paul was foundational. Somebody was supposed to build. And Paul told the man, you build. Just take heed how you build, but you build. Because I didn't end on Paul's foundation. We begin from his foundation. We don't end on Paul's foundation. God wants the church to build a bit higher. When Paul is watching you and me speaking, he's like, go deeper, expound. You know, elucidate. Why? Because God has built the way of life to come from glory to glory from faith to faith, from grace to grace. So when he says in the last days, knowledge shall be increased, it means that there's a deliberate work from heaven to make you know more than Paul knew. But I believe the reason why we're not even yet seeing revival is we have stayed where Paul was and he didn't want us there. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why when I was teaching about reason and the distinctions of the anointing, we dig where the last man last dug right and continue digging deeper. Somebody shout hallelujah. For what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not entered the hearts of men. That's where we dig. And as I'm preaching, I'm doing that, but the businessman too should dig deeper. The doctor should dig deeper. The engineer should dig deeper. Everybody, wherever you're called, you might not stand on the altar. If you're a worshiper, oh, 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 forget what you saw. Ask God for something deeper. We're dreaming of days where people will just raise their hands and blind eyes start popping because somebody's worshiping a God that they know from glory to glory. And if Christ tarries, then our children, because imagine our children are listening to this at 14. What do you think they're gonna look like when they're 25? What do you think they're gonna look like when they're 30? What do you think they're gonna look like when they're 60? And imagine their children too becoming third, fourth generation of graces handed over from distinctive graces and well-prepared wombed, established midwives. They are skilled and experienced men. The apostle is an apostle. The prophet is a prophet. The teacher is a teacher. The evangelist is an evangelist. Oh, I can only imagine. We will preach Christ soon. He'll just say, no, no, let's go, let's go. These guys are ready. These guys are ready. That's what we're looking at. You know why Jesus is delayed? We are not yet there. Somebody shout hallelujah. But I see that God is bringing knowledge and understanding. This generation is hungry. Something is happening in Uganda. Something is happening. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, when you study the book of Ephesians, and what I will appeal you to go and study in light with this. You see, Paul firstly gives us a revelation concerning the body. What is the essence of the body? Somebody shout hallelujah. What is the essence of the body? What is the work of the body? So in chapter 3, the 17th verse, his prayer for you, if you read in the Amplified Bible, he says that may Christ richly or through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide and make his permanent home in your hearts. He says, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. You see why we preach grace, why we preach forgiveness? Because grace is not a license to sin. No. It is the power to walk out of sin because that's what love does. Now imagine a person who from childhood imitated the wrong doctrine. They began in the law. They were killed by the law because the letter killeth. And then they began by telling them, oh, you know, you have a generational curse on your life. We're going to cast it out. Yet if any man be in Christ is a new creation. Galatians 5, stand ye therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not yet entangled in the yoke of bondage. So when you become born again immediately, you're free. 
And then somebody brings a doctrine and says, you know, but you have a generational curse from your father. And then you ask them, okay, but the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. And why is it in Corinthians? Because they have not yet understood it. It can't be in Philippi or Philippians. You see what I'm saying? It's talking about if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away and all things have become new. And all things are of God. So if all things are of God, then how come I'm a new creation, but I have a generational curse? And people are in churches casting out generational curses and God is like, that's not where you are. You've not yet understood who you are. Again, you see, identity. But because of the wrong imitations, they don't know who they are. And because they don't know who they are, demons possess them, torment them and destroy them. Because they don't understand the power that was given them through Christ and the new creation realities. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes people begin by freedom when they get born again. They are in the liberty of Christ and then somebody teaches them into bondage. And then they get into a process of delivering themselves and then they think it's a true life of salvation. And then they make a doctrine out of that. So somebody says, oh, you know what? Pastor, ever since I got born again, I'm struggling. He said, you know why? Because then you were not born again. Now the devil has turned against you. Nonsense. That's not true. <laughs> Jesus says the devil comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The Christian life is supposed to be a good life. I'm not saying challenges don't come. But they come and we have answers. No weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. You've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. I have an answer for every challenge that will ever come my way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid it all. Don't you sing it? Jesus paid it all. Uh-huh. Hell to him my own. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he was still white and smooth. Somebody say, I have an answer for every challenge coming ahead through Christ who strengthens me. Are you following? I'm going deeper now. I'm going deeper. So, he says, when you are grounded in love and founded on love, he says, verses 18, you will finally know the power and be strong to apprehend or to understand. That means it's hard for you to understand when it does not begin from love. It's hard for you to apprehend when it does not begin from the revelation of God who is love. There's something that I went through a few years ago and it was meant to take away Fanero and me. It's just that we don't tell every challenge, but something once came and it was supposed to take away me and the ministry. And I remember I'm in my closet praying. I'm seeking God. And a voice comes very clearly. And he says, but I love you. Now, every time I read 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8, why I emphasize that portion of scripture, I can never tell you the power of those three words. Love never fails. You can never understand it fully until you experience it for yourself, until you understand that love, you will never understand the power that preserves you. This is how I know that I will make it. This is how I know. Because love never fails. It never fails. So that's what he's trying to tell you that when you're rooted in love and founded securely in love, it's the only way you'll have the power to apprehend because it takes a certain power to get this thing in your spirit. So when you talk about the violent taking it by force, some of you are just taking jobs and husbands. No, we're talking about revelation here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, to grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, that is the breadth, the length, the height and depth of it, that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself, the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. Because there are many people in the world who know that, yes, Jesus loves me. Then you ask them, why? For the Bible tells me. So, so I believe it. But you see, God wants to take you beyond the fact that the word says it. 
He has talked about to experience a love beyond mere knowledge, to know that God loves you, but to have an intimate relationship with God where you get to a point and you understand it, whether you feel it or you don't. You have seen a God and you understand him in a way so deep. Let me tell you, do you know the secret of the miraculous is in that scripture? Have you noticed that every time Jesus healed, there was a compassion. You see, the Bible says he was moved by compassion and healed them. I remember the first time I was working in hospice, a palliative care, and people died of cancer every day. And I remember one evening, I go back home and I sit under my father's tree. It was about 8 p.m. and I just started shedding tears because everybody I had in my journal had died. And I said, God, why are people dying? And I wept about 30 minutes, and the Spirit of the Lord came very clearly like you hear me speaking. And he said, I'm going to anoint you to heal cancers, okay? Now, the first stage four cervical cancer, my mother's friend, tell me you were in Barara, you saw the lady. That was my first cervical cancer stage four. They told us she had three months to die, and she came home to say bye to my mother. And my mother told me, this woman is going to die, but we can do some. So I got my mom and I laid hands on her. And in three weeks, she did not have a trace of cancer. Everything reversed. Jen Karuthai, Kenya. I called her once and I told her, the Lord tells me you're not okay. And she said, I'm okay. I tell her, tell me the truth. It says, the truth is I have breast cancer. It had eaten her breast to zero. Some of you heard that story. I prayed with Jen, not only did breast cancer heal, her breast grew back. Now, a young man comes and tells you, pray for me that God will anoint me to heal. And I want to ask him, do you actually understand the love of God that stretches to the body of a sick man to heal it? Because if you've not understood it, you have no part. You're like Simon the sorcerer. He's asking for the power to lay hands on people to be filled with the Spirit. But it's on scripture evident that Simon the sorcerer had not yet been baptized with the very Spirit he wants to give. That's transactional. You see what I'm saying? You must understand that when you get to know how much God loves you, I understand why perfect love casts out <laughs> all fear. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. So, God is telling you that if you understand this love that surpasses mere knowledge without experience, he says, in that way, you will be filled, listen, through all your being and to all the fullness of God that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. He did not say a rich measure. He said the richest measure. That means it's possible for somebody to be established in a love that he will function in the richest measure. He didn't say a rich measure. That means God is not holding back on how much he can give a man. Can somebody receive it? God is not holding back on how much he can give a man. He can give you exceedingly. You see what I'm saying? So, but it comes from the foundation of that love. When you understand that love, God says, as you grow in this, this increases. I told people there was a time I needed days and months or weeks to position myself to hear God or demonstrate power. Now, I don't need, I can even just point at her like that. And the power moves. You want to know why? Because as you continue relating with God, something starts to fill your spirit. And this is not for a special man of God. It's for everybody that dares to believe The next move of the spirit won't have special men. It will have an army. Oh! 
I see days where we're going to come for healing meetings and the usher will tell this person, remove this. Walk in Jesus' name. Because we don't want you to waste the time of the man of God teaching to pray for you. This is not far from you. This is simply asking, are you able to believe God that he can use you? That's the only question. That's the only question. We are going to enter a time where the power of God is going to scare the world. I'm talking about miracles that are going to start scaring. I'm not talking about all oh, the flu healed the head. No, we are entering a zone where a woman will lay hands on her son and an eye will grow in her home. Oh, and she's not even a preacher, but she believes God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. That is the church that will see the return of Jesus Christ. Your 14-year-olds are going to prophesy until you don't even know what to do. That is where we're going. Because the walls are breaking. The walls are breaking. The walls are breaking. So he's saying you can actually become a body filled and flooded with God. And he says the secret is not a special man of God. The secret is not a special woman of God. The secret is you have not been intimate with me. And that is why in the verses 20, he says, Now to him, who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, the Bible says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which we dare to ask all things. I love how the Amplified says it. He's able to do, listen, far above all that we dare to ask. No, he didn't say to ask, dare to ask. You know that stuff you even fear to ask? He says, I'm willing to do exceedingly beyond that which you dare to ask or think. And he says, infinitely beyond your highest prayers, your desires, beyond your thoughts, your hopes, and your dreams. God is saying, I can begin from the greatest dream you could ever have and I surpass it. I can begin from the highest hope you could ever have and I'll surpass it. I can begin from the highest prayer you could ever make concerning revival and I can start from where you ended and I do even beyond what you never asked. Hey! And listen to this. According to the power that worketh. So, the danger of having something beyond your prayers and it's in there is beyond your thoughts and it's in there is beyond your education and it's in there is beyond your credentials and credibility it's in there it's beyond your fasting it's in there it's beyond your desires imagine the biggest meeting no just imagine the biggest meeting you could ever have and then it comes to your head and then God says, exceedingly, abundantly, above that imagination. Are you following what I'm saying? So he consecrates the responsibility. And he tells us, when it comes to Ephesians 3, you're not imitating a man anymore. You are intimate with God. And it's no longer about any man. It's you and God. Then we get into the next level of Ephesians chapter 4 where he talks about the officers. And the Bible says, and he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets. Now we are in the next chapter. That's why I want you to go back and read Ephesians because if you understand it like this, to change you. Listen, he says, he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, he gave some evangelists, pastors. Now, if you read the Greek, this is amazing. You love it. If you read the Greek, the word and, and he gave apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors. Now that last and teachers, the Greek word there is which be teachers. If you study, go read Greek, you'll see that the last and is which be teachers. Meaning that it's not the fivefold ministry. It's actually the fourfold, but of all these four, they must be teachers. Read it. Read it. So, if I was to read it right, it would say he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, which be teachers. That means an apostle should teach. 
an evangelist should be able to teach. A prophet should be able to teach. That's why the church has failed to grow. Because a prophet wants to prophesy for four hours and leave a church that has not been taught. In my primary years of ministry, those who know me can tell you I was predominantly prophetic. I just come in a room, call names, numbers, pray for people and go. That's what I used to do. And then Jesus appears to me in an encounter and asked me, why did I teach? Was I not a prophet? Oh my God. It finally sank in my spirit that teaching is a responsibility of every office. Because you must know God. And if you know him, you will teach him. Some might teach better, but we all should behold. Paul calls it beholding the doctrine of Christ in a pure conscience. The place that he has God in you has the purity of a consecration that only truth can do. Every man should be able to teach. There might be greater graces. Some men might teach greater than others. But at least everyone should know the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus taught. Are you following? To the end, to perfect the saints for the work of ministry, to the edification of the body, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son and to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. So you see, he didn't want you to get to the level of Paul. He wants to grow you to the stature and the measure of Jesus Christ. The shadow sees when we grow. And I'm not against imitation. But I only imitate to the place where I'm mature enough to find it. The standard is Christ, not Paul. Not Apostle Grace, not your pastor. The standard is Christ. That we might not be babes tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the slay of men and their cunning craftiness which lie in wait to deceive. And the next line says, but speaking the truth in love, we might grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Did you hear that? God wants you to grow into him. This was hard a few years ago to teach, but now we can teach it. God didn't want you to be a good Christian, a good husband to your wife, a good statesman, a responsible businessman. No, he wants you to grow up into him in all things. I have fear to imagine a man who would understand this portion of scripture, what they would look like. I have fear to imagine when you meet a man, they're in a body, they breathe oxygen, they eat food like you, but they've grown into God. Oh, wait a minute, pastor. Until you are sapping the authority of God. Listen, if God is the best example of perfection, then he wants his children to be exactly like him. That does not take away our submission to him. It doesn't take away our worship to him. Don't think we don't understand the difference. We do. But also, it doesn't take away the fact. In fact, when Paul had that full revelation, he goes in the next chapter, Ephesians 5, the Amplified Version, and he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow him as an example. As we, as well beloved children, imitate their father. In Corinthians, Paul tells them, you have not seen the father. Imitate me. You'll be safe imitating me. In Ephesians, he says, you have seen the father. I'm no longer the standard. I'm no longer the frame. I'm no longer the pattern. I'm no longer the imitation. Now you plainly see the father. Imitate him. I'm out of the way. I'm out of the way. I'm out of the way. Now take over. This is a more mature church. But how can you imitate who you don't see? 
How can you imitate one whose vision you don't carry? You see? So when a man is here, they have a vision of God. Because it's only through that vision that they can actually imitate. You see? It's like an absent father being away and he has a son. Can that son imitate anything? No, because he never had the opportunity to see the father act. You see? If your mother was absent, you'd have no opportunity to know how women behave. Unless you had a, a version of a mother figure who would show you how. You see? Now, the only challenge is that we are dealing with a generation who it has a flawed revelation, a deceived revelation of God. And their imitations are in a corrupted image. He says they have belittled God and they've taken him to the place. They do not exalt God and worship him as God. And because of that, they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made as of corruptible man to birds, beasts, and footed beasts and creeping things. They don't have the right revelation of God. And because they don't have the right revelation of God, whatever they have as the image of him is corrupted. And when it's corrupted, it's what they're imitating. They're imitating works of error. And then you ask yourself why we don't see. I have traveled the world. I have met men who can speak this Bible to the end and you bring them a dead body and they walk out. I've met men who know the Greek and Hebrew lexicons. They can disintegrate and demystify mystery. And then you bring a blind eye and they walk out because they know about him. They don't know him. The image of God is vain. They perish in the day of visitation, the Bible says in Jeremiah. You see what I'm saying? So, this is what I'm trying to tell us. That's why truth comes, to give you the right vision of God. And once you have the right vision of God, Paul says, imitate me to as far as you don't understand. And don't be too proud not to imitate when you cannot see. But if you can't see then, I should be humble as a pastor to give way to you and say, do as the Lord leads you. But the vision of God must be constantly available. That's what Hebrews says, 12, I think verse 2 or something like that. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, because we have a vision of him. The psalmist said, David said, I have set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand and I shall not be moved. And in the next verse, it says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh shall be found in rest, in hope, for you will not let your righteous see corruption, neither his soul rot in hell. For he says, you will show me the path of life and in thy presence is the fullness of joy and thy right hand their pleasures forevermore. This is a man who has understood the mystery is very simple. If I can get the true vision of God. You see, many years ago, now I'm going to bring some of you to remembrance. Many years ago, I was used to make a statement and said, I saw the Lord. You see, it doesn't mean that I had a visitation and then it ended. I saw the Lord means there's a certain place I found myself once in university and it gave me a certain understanding of God. And that understanding of God comes with so much that I can't preach it even for a thousand years if I was in the body. It's too much. That's why if you hear me every day, I teach you something new. Every day of my life. Because it's too much. I went to the end of all perfection. I saw God. I know when I close my eyes, I know to see him. I can see him. But you see, there's a work here when he says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me. I've availed and yielded myself. I know how to find God. I know. And when you understand that secret, you realize that walking in the spirit or living in the spirit is not just a place you go and then come out. No, it's a place you live permanently. Whether asleep or awake, I have learned to enjoy communion with God in the busiest circumstances. I could actually be playing basketball and I'm praying. I don't know how I do that, but I do. I can go to bed and sleep. And my spirit is praying through the whole night. 
I don't know how to explain it, but it's possible. Because when you understand the vision of God and get the right vision of him, you'd be amazed about how and what he's able to do with you. Now, tell God in whatever should be understood, I pray that you'll deal with me tonight so I can understand this message. Raise your voice and pray. 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 Be thou my vision. O oh Lord of my heart, Lord, be your hands to me. Save the hour, thou my best hope by day, oh by night. I'm waking up. Thy presence, my life. Come on, pray. Help me choir. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. Come on, raise your voice and pray. I ever with thee. down and pray. God wants to do something in your life today. Father, do it. Father, do it. Father, do it. my that's for my Oh, 
My heart's prayer is that may you have a vision of God tonight like your eye has never seen. Father God, consecrate somebody right now. Move and separate somebody right now. Some of you are getting a vision. good somebody's day is today the teacher the evangelists the pastor the prophet the worshiper he's coming where you are he's coming where you are May he touch you uniquely. May the eyes of your spirit open now that you will have a clear vision of God. My God, my God, something is happening. Something is happening. Something is happening. your body 
mention that sickness and tell it go I feel the power that heals now just mention it and say go mention it hypertension say hypertension go diabetes go now I feel healing let me pray for worshipers put up your hand if you're worshiping if you are a worshiper you worship you worship you have a voice that worships power of the Holy Ghost and you say today I want him as my Lord and Savior repeat these words after me Father God I thank you because of Jesus today I have believed that he died for my sins and was raised for my glory tonight I receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. I commit my life to you for the rest of my life. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. <laughs>